the fact that he knows us, he sees us, he knows the deepest things in us that nobody knows, the things that we're scared about, the things we don't want to show people. There's reality in that, that, you know, that we're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to show who we are because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what people are going to think about who we are. But that's okay. That's normal. You know, we walk through that together as a community learning to go deep. But the Lord sees us anyway. He knows us anyway. And that should impact us. The more that we know his holiness and his perfection and have a revelation of that, the more we're going to be in awe that he sees our deepest, darkest things and loves us. So the more we understand his perfection and have the fear of the Lord, the more we'll have revelation of the love of God. Do you see how those are connected? And that's why I really want to know it and come to a greater understanding in myself that he sees the yucky parts in me. And I know he sees it, but am I affected by that? Am I challenged by that? Do I realize that he's perfect and he's king and ruler over all things. And he's going to have his way. He will have his way. And we need to put him in that place of authority. And, and he's there. We need to put him in that place in our minds and in our hearts. That he would be seated on a throne in our hearts. Where there's nothing else that can compare or come close to him. And that's been so heavy on me. So that's my prayer for us as a community. Tommy and I have been praying for that. We'll continue to pray. So if you're in prayer for our community here, our family, pray into that. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. And then pray for our family here. That that would strike us because we'll know when it hits. You know, you know when it hits. When I've been struck by revelation of the holiness of God, I am face down on the ground weeping can't get up i've had it happen before because i'm i'm hit with that revelation in that moment you know we'll know when it happens because you can't stay the same you can't there's it's impossible it changes us so that's not the message even though i feel like i want to go on that there we are going to finish orphan mentality today and it feels like a um a great accomplishment because I've tried to start this series three times already and we never finished and we finally went through from start to finish seven sessions which again if you've missed any you can go online and then this last session what's interesting enough is that it's seven sessions right so seven is a number of perfection and completion and then eight that number which this is the eighth session Eight means new beginnings, right? So seven's perfection, closing the door. Eight means new beginnings, right? So that's just an interesting fact. I don't think it's anything really crazy spiritual about this other than I thought it was just cool that the eighth session is now on the father heart of God. So we're, we've addressed these mentalities where we're acting like orphans, we're acting like street kids, and we're dealing with some deep stuff in our hearts and in our lives and having to wrestle with these attitudes and ways that we think or do things that are just self-protection, trying to, you know, make it through the day. And 
we deal with all these things, and then we get to this piece of, okay, now we know that we're children of God, and this is what children look like. Who is our father? And we're going to focus on today who our father is, what it means. So as we said before, we've been talking about orphans, and many of you know that I worked with orphans and street kids in Haiti and in Brazil primarily, and they showed the same characteristics everywhere I went. It was consistent. And those characteristics um, were because of they w- had ways of thinking and doing to protect themselves from being hurt, from being rejected, because they had been through a life of hardship, of rejection, abuse, spiritual, phys- uh, mental, physical, uh, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. And so they had to build these walls. It was not because they wanted to. It was because they had to, right? And the Bible says that we were all orphans. So remembering Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 14. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God These are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. So clearly saying we are no longer orphans. We've been adopted into his family. If we truly have given our life to the Lord and are marked by his spirit, we've been adopted into his family. And just like when a street kid gets adopted into a family, all of their wounding doesn't just change because they're in a family now. It's deep. It still hurts. They still have the same patterns of thinking and doing. Those will have to be processed through, worked through, and healed. And in the same way, when we give our lives to the Lord and come into the family, we're adopted into the family of God, it doesn't mean that, oh, we snap our fingers and we're perfect now. No, that's not how it works. There is instant transformation that happens, right? We've all experienced that when we gave our life to the Lord. There are things that are in, we've repented of sin and laid things away, aside. But there's a process that we enter into called sanctification, becoming holy, like he is holy. So it's this paradox in our faith that we are completely holy before God, covered in the blood of the lamb, right? When he looks at us, he sees us as holy because we're covered in the blood. But we are in a process of becoming holy, sanctification. We're renewing our minds because we have ways of thinking and doing that are not in alignment to the word of God. So we wash our minds with truth and we become ever more looking like him, acting like him, sounding like him, which is what we desire because he's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's attractive, right? Our God is awesome. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul is writing another church. In Romans, he was writing the church of Rome and now he's writing the church of Galatia and he says, 
But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He's saying the same exact thing to another church because he's trying to establish them in this truth. You're no longer slaves. You're no longer orphans. You are a child of the living God in his family. Start acting like it. Let's renew our minds. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a slave to the way the world works. We live in a different kingdom now. We're part of a different, uh, we're part, we're royalty now in the kingdom of heaven as sons and daughters of the living God. And we got to start acting like it and living like it so the world will see. And Paul was hammering that in because it's hard for us to stop living like we used to live. He was saying, Hey, I get it. You're falling back into old patterns, but I'm going to remind you over and over and over and over again. And he does. You're not a slave anymore. You're not an orphan. Stop living like it. Renew your mind in truth about who he is and about who you are and live differently. Because when you live differently, it will be a mark of the spirit of the living God inside of you. And that's what the world will see in us and desire in us. And then in John 14, I had verses 1 through 18 here. I'm going to just highlight. You can, if you write it down and want to read it later, that's cool. If not, I'm going to just highlight some par parts in it. John 14, verses 1 through 18. It's Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? He's about to leave. He's about to get crucified. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, it means I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He desires that we are with him where he is. That's his love. Let that hit you. He, w he went to prepare a place for us, and he's going to come back to get us because he longs for us. He desires us to be with him where he is. And he says, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And I think that would have been me. Every time Jesus said something, I'd be like, what? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Like, can you explain it some more? I don't think I know the way. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm getting smacked by these things. Like, can you imagine Jesus in the flesh? And he's like, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, then you've known the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying, I am a perfect reflection of the Father. Once you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father's heart. 
that he came to seek and save the lost, that he came to love, redeem, set free, heal, deliver. Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, another one of his disciples, now this might be discouraging for Jesus, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Right after he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip says, show us the Father. Like, mm, that probably would have been me too. John, uh, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can so he's reiterating, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father is speaking through me. Believe me. So he's reemphasizing it again. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's trying to get them to see, I've come to show you what the Father is like. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do greater works because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you see how many times he's used the word Father? He keeps reemphasizing, you know, we've known God as God, as holy, righteous, just, ruler over all things. And then Jesus came in and he said, he's Abba. Abba means daddy. That's an intimate, personal term. Jesus came in and said, I'm making a way for you to call my father your father, and you're going to call him daddy. And I'm going to bring you to him with me. Intimacy, longing. And then he talks about, I'm going to give you another uh, helper. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you a helper, the spirit of truth that's going to dwell in us as the children of God, right? Romans talked about that. We've not received the spirit of slavery, but a different spirit. Galatians said the same thing. We are marked by his spirit. And then verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's not leaving us w as an orphan or a street kid with no parent, with nobody to help them, with no protection. He said, no, I'm coming. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to mark you, and you're going to be adopted into my family. And then verse 21, to finish that, Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So he made three huge points in this passage. Jesus came to show us the father. He's the perfect representation of the father. When we see Jesus, we see the father. Anything that we know about Jesus, we can know about the father. He came to give us a new name, Abba, that we could call and approach God and say, Daddy. Daddy, intimacy, personal, daddy. And then he came to show us what real love is. Real love. He said it in verse 21, it's obedience. He who loves me obeys me. 
he showed that he loved the Father by his obedience to the Father. He loved the Father perfectly because he obeyed him perfectly. As much as we obey him, we are demonstrating our love for him. We can't say we love him if we don't obey him. It's a lie. And that's a harsh truth. You know, we can come and sing all these songs about love. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. And the father's saying, show me. And it'd be like in any relationship, right? Someone says constantly, I love you, I love you, I love you, but they don't show you that they love you. That would be like, huh, you said you love me a bunch of times, but I'm not quite seeing it yet. <laughs> I don't think I should believe you anymore, right? Words need actions. James talks about that. James 2 says, if you have, act- if you have words without actions, it means nothing. Faith without works is dead. It holds no weight. Jesus showed us what real love is. And our love is only a response to his love for us, right? John 4, 1 John 4.18, we love because he first loved us. So we need to receive his love for us, and we respond in love to him. So if we have a hard time obeying and loving him with our obedience, it's probably because we haven't really received much of his love for us. We must be loved by him in order to love him. We love because he first loved us. So one of the first things we need to do, we need to acknowledge each one of us, myself, each one of us included, we need to acknowledge that we have a father wound from our natural father. We have a father wound and we view God as much as we don't want to. There are places we view God through our wound of our natural father, through the way that he treated us, through the way that we had interaction, relationship with him. Our fathers were not perfect, right? They're humans. They're not perfect. And we have to forgive. We have to release them to the Lord because maybe you, I mean, I've heard of people who have come from terrible father situations. Maybe your father did not protect you. Maybe he verbally abused you, physically, sexually, emotionally abused you. Maybe your father was absent. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he didn't provide for you. And all of those things are traumatic to our hearts. They affect us. They hurt us. They cut us. And then we come to know this good father, and we don't quite understand. We can't really see him. We're seeing him through a lens still of our wounding. And our idea of father is clouded by our experience rather than by truth, right? That's why we need to be washed by the word and healed from our wounding so that we can start to see God rightly as he is, as a good father. So some experience, some examples. My dad never disciplined me. Maybe he didn't quite care. Maybe he wasn't around enough. Maybe it was just your mom who disciplined. For example, my father left my home, and my mom was the only one who disciplined us because she was the only present parent, right? My father didn't discipline. And when he tried to after he left, what did I meet it with? Rebellion. Who are you to try to discipline me? You left our family. 
that produced something in me. So then when discipline would come from the Lord through people, you all had heard through my orphan mentalities, what did I meet it with? Rebellion. Because I was viewing God Father and his discipline through this earthly lens, my experience. I didn't have healthy discipline from my father. I had an absent father. So maybe when you, if you have an absent father or a father that didn't discipline or they disciplined harshly even, maybe the opposite, they beat the crap out of you, that's going to affect you differently. Maybe they spoke terribly over you. You're going to start to believe, oh, God has nothing good to say about me because my father had nothing good to say about me, so my experience is speaking to this relationship here. I can't hear God say something good about me because all I heard growing up was you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, you don't have what it takes, you're whatever they said. Maybe they said worse things. My dad abandoned me, so that means God was is going to leave me at some point. There will become a point. I'm going to view God through this lens, possibly. I'm just giving you examples. God will give up on me if I'm too much for him. If I fall too many times, if I sin too many times, he's going to give up because I'm just too much. He can't handle me. I think that way because I experienced that this way. My earthly father abandoned me, so I think at some point if I'm not good enough, so I'm going to try to be good enough for God to not leave me. I'm going to try to appear, and that was another thing that I did. I tried to appear a certain way. I, I was very self-righteous. I wanted to appear as though I was perfect, that I had no problems, that I had no issues, and it was all a facade because I was afraid, number one, that God would reject me, and then that made me really afraid that people would reject me. So even though God saw it all, somehow I was still trying to hide, like Adam and Eve right? They're hiding in the garden. My dad couldn't provide for us. Now that's a hard reality because maybe your dad was trying and he just couldn't, or maybe it was because he was lazy and he didn't. Whatever the reason was that he couldn't provide for you, it instills in us that I've got to do this on my own. I've got to provide for myself. I can't trust that God will provide for me because I've never had that experience in my life. So I can't trust God with my finances. I can't trust God with my things because my dad didn't provide. That's actually the root cause of that. And you need to be healed from this wound so you can have health in this relationship. And you can begin to trust the truth that God is provider. My dad abused me verbally, physically, sexually, emotionally. That could see a lens of God is mean. He's angry all the time. And he doesn't understand my situation. So if you're at a place where you're like, well, God, you just don't understand. That is the silliest thing. I've said it before. God, you don't understand. And then it's like as soon as it comes out, you're like, I'm an idiot. Like, obviously, God understands. He sees all. He knows all. He created. He understands. Even if no one else does, he does. But that comes from a place of, I was hurt. I was attacked. God, you don't understand my situation. 
you don't know how hurt I am. You don't know how bad that was. We need to forgive, release, get healing here so we can have health here. So maybe your dad didn't abuse you. Maybe your dad let you be abused. That puts a stick. You know, right in your heart. Maybe your dad was absent enough that he let you be abused, whether it was because he wasn't there, he didn't notice, whatever the cause was, he let you be abused. He wasn't there to protect you. So because my dad didn't protect me, I don't believe God can protect me. I don't believe God wants to protect me. Do you see where it's going? It's all this wounding here, and then it reflects in my lens of God. And it might not be all the time. Maybe we have times where we're like, I trust God, and I, I get it. I get a revelation, but then we go back because we're still hurt. This wound here needs to be healed in order to have health here. My dad didn't have time for me. He was too busy. He worked all the time. I never had time with him. I don't want to spend time with God. He's probably too busy for me. He doesn't have time for me. That af directly affects your time with the Lord because you never knew how to have a time. And your father actually wasn't meant to be that for you. Like, it's great if they can show you that that a piece of the father's heart but we're meant to know God through scripture, not through experience. This first, then we have experience. This needs to be the grounding, the foundation of everything. Because if I allow my experience to speak to who God is, we're in a mess. Because I have a lot of messy experiences. We all have a lot of messy experiences. And we can't allow those. We have to be healed. So my father didn't have time for me. God probably doesn't have time for me. I'm, I, you know, I don't, so I'm not going to take the time to spend with him. So we have to acknowledge, a huge step is acknowledging that we ha might have some lenses here. And I mean, you don't have to embrace them all at once and say, I got to get healing from like 10 things all at once. And I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. No, start with one. It's okay, right? You, you said, okay, that one really spoke to me. I'm going to work on getting healing there. I want healing from that. I need to forgive my earthly dad. I need to work through that, get some healing. The Lord's going to heal me. And then you're going to start to see that area of your life in God flourishing, producing life in you, helping you to grow and become established. We have to wash our minds with truth. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. The truth will set you free. That's John 17. And then it says, and your word is truth. Jesus is the man. He is truth. It's embodied in who he is. But this is truth. We renew our minds by the washing of the water of the word. And we need to know God through his word, not through our experience, not what we've been told. We need him to show us who he is here. And allow that to change us from the inside out. Acknowledge the places we've been hurt and wounded. And then allow God to speak who he is to us. That he's not like our earthly dad. And the fact is our earthly dads maybe did as best as they could with their history and what they went through. Maybe they were a 
beaten, abused, or whatever. And they don't know how to parent. They didn't know how to do best, right? So we forgive them for that. And we move forward in getting healing. So bringing us to where we are, what does it mean to be a child of God? Our father is, well, number one, if we're a child of God, that means we have a father. He's present. He's not absent. He's not abandoned us. He is our father. He reminded us. Jesus said it so many times just in John 14, and there's a million other places where he kept saying, Father, 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 Father. I want you to know, Father is here. Father loves you, and this is what it's about, right? We are his dependents. Now, if you're a parent now, you mark on your tax. How many <laughs> your tax forms? How many dependents do you have? What does that mean? How many children do you have dependent on you? Well, imagine the Lord's tax forms. He has a lot of dependents, right? He has we are dependent on him. And like we talked about before, he's a never-ending source. He doesn't run out. We can't, we can't suck from other people. We have to suck from the source, our father, and be dependent. We are his dependents. He knows us. That's what we were saying before. He knows us. Psalm 139. We talked about that in the first session. He sees when we stand up. He sees when we sit down. He sees when we go to bed. He notes it all, and he understands our thoughts from afar. That's always spoken to me a lot because my thoughts are complicated, and I think too much. So the fact that the Lord understands my thoughts from afar when I don't even feel like I can understand it myself, it's comforting, right? You can always rest in like, wow, I'm crazy. Thank you, Lord, that you know it. And I can be at rest with you. He loves us. It means he loves us. Now, there's a million scriptures about him loving us, but John 3.16. For God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, that's an intense love. Think about giving your child up for people you knew would reject you. That's what God did. He gave his only son to die knowing that there would be many that rejected him even still because he loved us. He so longed for us. And Jesus reflects the father in John 14 saying, I go to prepare a place for you because I got to have you where I am. I got to have you where I am. I long for you. I love you. He acts in our best interest, meaning he disciplines us for our good. And we went through this with session two, but I want to remind us of the scripture because it's important, especially if we think that our if our father did not discipline us well and did it badly, that the Lord, our father, Abba, he disciplines us for our good. So in Hebrews 12, verse 4, Starting in verse 4, it says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have and have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. 
God deals with you as with son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. That might not be the case for all of us, but in the Paul's case, yes. And they, re- and they respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Our fathers disciplined us. Our earthly fathers disciplined us according to what they thought was right at the moment, which may have been beating us to a pulp or whatever the situation was. But God, he's not like, he literally says, I'm not like your earthly father. I discipline you for your good. I'm not doing this for what I think is good. I know what's good for you, and I'm going to do it out of love for you, for your good. He's patient and never gives up on us. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Our Father is love. It says God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, what is he like? Our Father is patient. Our Father is kind. Instead of saying love is patient, love is kind, put in there. My, my Father is patient. My Father is kind. My Father does not boast. He's not self-seeking. He always thinks the best. He hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. That's my Father. That's who he is. So what does this look like? Child on the street versus child in a family, right? Because we're no longer child on the street. We're child in a family, the family of God. This means we have God's protection. He is our protection. That's what the word says. So protection, you can write these down. I'm not going to read through them all because there's so many scriptures. But even if you just Googled God is my protection or God protection scripture, a million things come up. But one that's common is Psalm 91, right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It says that even if a thousand fall on my right hand and ten thousand on my left, that none will befall me because he is around me. He's protecting me. That's God's protection. He is our protection. There's Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, Deuteronomy 31.6. Those are all about the protection of the Lord. God is provider. Our Father is provided, providing for us. We're not a street kid anymore who has to fight for the provision. We're in a family. If your earthly family did not provide for you, that does not mean God won't. He has all resources at all times. He will provide. And we talked about one of the most found when the first time God gives us this name is in Genesis 22. He calls himself Jehovah Jireh. My God will provide. And he gives that name when Moses, uh, Abraham is with Isaac and the Lord had told Abraham to sacrifice his son, right? I, he was trying to give a picture of father with Jesus about to sacrifice his son for the world. He did it with Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac obeyed him because he said, God's able to raise him up again. You know, he trusted God that much. He had that much faith that this is the promise. If he's telling me to kill it, so many times we won't kill our promise. 
We won't let the promise die. We won't sacrifice the promise because we're holding on to it too much where we can't, can we not believe God will revive it? So then when he's about to kill his hands in the air with a knife to kill his son on the altar, the Lord stops him and says, look, a ram. And Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh. My God will provide. And he gives us this name. He is our provider. If we go in the wrong way, what does it look like to be a child in the family? If we go the wrong way, he's going to guide us back. That's comforting, right? I know that comforts me all the time. I'm like, Lord, I'm taking a step. Show me if I'm wrong because it's kind of nerve wracking. I don't know if I should be moving forward. And I can trust that as I move forward, my father loves me. He wants to guide me. He's going to shut the door in my face if it needs to be shut. And I trust him. And if it is, I'll know it's him. He's done that many times before. And the scripture for that is Psalm 23, another one. There's so many more. Even though I walk in the shadow, right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me uh, to lie down by green pastures and still waters. His rod and his staff comfort me. What did a shepherd use the rod and the staff for? A rod was for discipline. You know, he smacked the sheep. And David's saying, your rod comforts me. That word comfort actually means strengthens. Your discipline strengthens me. What was the staff for? The staff was for guidance. It was for direction. He was going to guide the sheep with his staff. So his rod and his staff, his discipline and his direction, his guidance, strengthen us. And we can trust he's a shepherd. He's going to smack you if you need to be smacked, and he's going to hook you in and redirect you if you need to be redirected, if you're running away. He's going to hook you and bring you in because he's a good father. He's a good shepherd. And then this is, I know these are hard things. Like we can talk all day. I could go through lists and lists of the attributes of our Father in heaven because there's so many things. But these were key ones. Protection, provision, um, protection, provision, and guidance and his love and correction for good things. They're difficult concepts for us because we've, we've grown up in, in broken families and imperfect families. And but really what it comes down to is the way that we act demonstrates what we believe about God, our father. The way that we act shows what we believe about God, the father, because we could say we believe that he's provision. But if we're not being generous and if we're withholding, like we talked about last week, the orphan doesn't want to give because they're afraid they'll be in lack again what you're doing is actually showing what you believe about God. If I'm like being generous and just giving where I can give, I, that's demonstrating that, hey, I trust. <laughs> He's my provider. He's going to provide, right? It makes sense. The way that we act shows what we actually believe about God. Faith without works is dead. If we say we believe something and don't act on it, we don't really believe it. I'm going to say it again. If you say you believe something and don't act on it, 
your belief is dead. Your faith is dead. That's what James said. Faith without works is dead. We must live what we believe. Make choices to show that we believe what we say we believe. And we have to constantly go back to Orphan Mentality Session 1. He doesn't love us for anything that we do. What we do does not make us important. Who we are makes what we do important. Our value is not in the things that we do. Our value is in the way he created us because he said we have value, period. His love for us. We must receive the Father's love, his full attention at all times, his love, his kindness, so that we can begin to walk in such a way that says we believe our Father is protector. We believe he's provider. And then when we uh, meet people who have been hurt and wounded and are broken, that we can say, yeah, that hurts. I get it. That hurts. But God's not that way. And he can heal you. There is healing in his love. There is healing in truth. So we can relate. We can understand. We're not just like, you need to snap out of it and remember he's love. No. Brokenness is painful. And we've all experienced it. And how awesome is it when someone comes alongside and says, I understand. That makes sense. Let me bring you to the healer. Let's go to our Father together and be healed and made whole. And that's what we're going to do as a community together with one another. That is our goal as a family. We always are going to come to the healer together and become whole. And we must bear ourselves. We must be open and acknowledge so that we can go there together. And the fear that might keep you from acknowledging that is from the enemy. He does not want us to break free from fear or shame because that keeps us in bondage. But if we're honest and open and can begin to acknowledge where we're broken, that those are the places that God dumps his water and heals because he says, wow, you're, you're opening up for me to dump in, right? So, Father, that's what we desire. I pray, Jesus, that you would do that in us, that you would dump your water in us. And, Father, I'm just sensing this. There's very painful places in us, God, that we don't even want to think about. We don't want to remember we don't want to go there. We've put up too many, so many barriers. Like, I've built up so much so as not to go back to that place. Lord, I know you understand that pain. And I pray, God, that you would give grace to any of us today dealing with that type of pain and bondage and brokenness to be able to go back and allow you to bring healing, real healing and wholeness that we might be able to relate to you in a healthy way and become the children that you have called us to become. I'm just sensing something um, 
Jane Marie, I don't know if you'd want to come up, but and Tommy, we're going to just pray for people. I hope you guys don't mind, but um, we're going to just take a moment today. You guys can come up and we'll each be up here. And if you want prayer today, if you, if God's speaking to some place in you that you're like, ugh, I need that, come. Approach any one of us and we'll pray with you. We're just going to agree. And if, if not, that's fine. If you don't want to, that's fine. But we want to make it available today.